My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. This episode of the Just a Mom podcast is the second of a two-part series. If you have not listened to episode two of season three, go back and listen to it before you start this episode. Thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. Now here's the rest of my conversation with Trisha. We had planned on moving my parents in with us over spring break. And this is spring break 2020. Oof. Yep. We all remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't put that together yet. So mm, all you got to (laughs) say. Um. I distinctly remember pulling up with a U-Haul truck in front of my house with my parents, my sister, my two girls, and the neighborhood kids had run outside and said, school is canceled for the rest of the year. And everybody got out. And I thought to myself, I might just keep driving. Good luck, y'all. I'm out. I am going to have everybody in my house at one time. Okay, so actually, that is such a freeing thing that you said that, because I'm sure there are millions of parents who felt that way, especially based on what you had been through the majority of this precious little girl's life. And you're thinking, oh, now I get to be the teacher. I've got my parents. My dad's got dementia. That's a lot. It was a lot. And then I just took a deep breath and got out of the car and went in the house. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing, though. I mean, truly. Wow. How did that play out? Um, Again, I feel like it was one of those times where Everybody else in the world came up to a level 10. Mm. So they everybody was working at Sydney's speed and or at that heightened level. Mm-hmm. And she thrived. Because she didn't have to go to school. She didn't have to go to school. And she's really good at working at a level 10. Mm. She's used to it. Yes. Wow. So I felt like things were good. Um yeah, it's 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 truly the like the worst thing in the world for somebody that has super high anxiety for um, them to be told that they have to isolate themselves. Yes, talk about that. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think at first I was the typical COVID mom trying to you know <laughs> come up with these creative activities to try and keep your teenager out of their bedroom so that they would. You could see their 
precious little face mm-hmm. for 10 minutes out of a day. Um, she was doing okay with school. She, um, you know, she still was able to have um, her supports, like her, her para support and her resource room teacher support. And so they really helped her through getting projects done and assignments done. So she was still doing some learning, <clears throat> and that was really good. Um, and she had made some friends through social media. And, like, kids that she went to school with. Okay. So she was able to build, like, a relationship or a couple relationships with some students that she'd gone to school with, but she didn't have to have that face-to-face interaction with. And um, so then heading into high school, everything is still pretty much shut down, but they're, you know, they had decided that they would open up late and it was just going to be half of the students at a time going half the time. Yeah, like an A-B schedule, basically. Yes. You guys are going to go Monday, Wednesday, half of Friday. Y'all go Tuesday, Thursday, the other half of Friday. Yeah. Yep. And uh, she still had the accommodations, so she um, had a case manager. We were able to meet the um, case manager ahead of time. And she walked Sydney through the building and showed her where her classrooms would be. And um, then it ended up that high school didn't start. They started online. They didn't start in person. Oh, okay. Okay. That was the easiest first day of school Sydney (laughs) ever had. (laughs) And probably you had ever had, right? Because you didn't have the buildup and the sleepless nights and the not eating and... yeah. She opened her computer and turned it on and started high school. And you thought, this is good. This is the worst thing ever because she's never going to want to go back. Mm. You were afraid that she would never want to go back into a school building at that point. Yes. And was it being discussed when? students would be in the school building at that point? Um, They weren't sure. They kept saying that, you know, they kept saying they were going to start in person and then they'd have to push it back again. Okay. And I can't remember exactly how long it was, but I do feel like it was at least a month, like the first month of school before they physically went into the school building. Um, then when they did start, it was half the students, half the time. And she she did okay. I mean, it was still difficult for her. Um, but we were slowly meeting some people. And um, we were having fewer days of me having to park and wait for everybody to go into the building before she went into the building. Um, so it was slowly, I felt like it was slowly getting better. And um, I felt like we ended our freshman year okay. 
Um, and was she seeing a therapist at this time and a psychiatrist? Because obviously, you know, March 2020, everything went online. So was she doing virtual therapy? And, she was. Okay. Mm-hmm. So still continuing, never really stopped doing therapy. No. Okay. Was it easy for you to find a new therapist when you moved here? No. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. It was um, almost kind of maddening Mm. because I would talk to people and try to get recommendations from people. They would give me a list of names. I would call and there would be a three to four month wait list, sometimes longer. And this was pre-COVID. This was pre-COVID. Yeah. Mm. I was very, very lucky that we had been established with a counselor prior to COVID. Because? I feel like the wait list got longer. Mm. You were able, though finally to get her into someone that she liked and she gelled with yeah so we got we got set up with a um psychiatrist the first psychiatrist that we saw um we met with him a few times and we decided that that was not a good fit so by a recommendation of uh, a neighbor we um started with somebody else and unfortunately she had an extremely long wait list and we waited our time and she actually did start seeing her over COVID. Okay. So she like saw her the first time over zoom and all of that. So, um, and also the very first counselor we saw when we got here, um, we met with her three or four times And each time, she kept asking me to come back with Sydney. And and I asked her, I emailed her, because I didn't want to ask her in front of Sydney. I emailed her and I said, I'm not understanding why I'm needing to come back. Like, this therapy is for Sydney. It's not necessarily for me unless there's a problem that you need to discuss with me. Um, I don't need to be a part of the sessions. Like she's, you know, I'm her comfort zone. I don't need to be in there. She needs to figure out these tools on her own. And um, she didn't really respond back to me. And the next time I go there, she starts really talking about my parenting style. And she's talking about it to me in front of Sydney. And it took everything in me to not, like, start crying in mm-hmm. front of her. Like, I just I, I just sat there, and then our time was up. I was very happy about that. <laughs> I'm so, sure you were. <laughs> and so we left, and I got home, and I was – I said to my husband, I, we can't go back there. I, I can't go back there. So then we were on the hunt for a new um, counselor, and um, 
by a, from a recommendation um, from somebody from her middle school, we were able to get in, and um, and that's still who we have. And Sydney really likes going and seeing her. That's good because that's a huge part of it. Is the the patient or the client has to feel comfortable and connected to the therapist to work towards progress. Yeah. As time has gone on, sophomore year, junior year, because she's 17 now, so she is a junior or a senior presently? She is a junior. Okay. So sophomore year, you said freshman year was okay. Mm -hmm. So so going into the sophomore year, were you optimistic that it was going to be another okay year? I was very hopeful. I was very hopeful because they were starting to have sports again. And I was very excited for Sydney to be able to go to football games and, you know, just start to get a high school experience because she wasn't, she didn't really have one her freshman mm-hmm. year. And um, prior to starting her sophomore year, Um, We knew that the case manager that she had her freshman year was leaving and going to a different school. So we knew that she was getting a new case manager. I had reached out to the school and was asking to have a meeting and, you know, be able to meet the person, have Sydney be able to meet the person um, prior so that she knew who her person was when school started. And then... um, They didn't get back to me right away, so I reached out to the school social worker, and I said, hey, um, school is going to start in like a couple days, and there is no plan. I need a plan. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll meet Sydney. Okay. Who is her case manager? She's like, I don't think she's, I don't think um, she's been assigned one yet. Oh, no. I was like, okay, this is not good. So the first day of sophomore year, we pull up to the school, and I'm in this drop-off circle. And they knew, I knew where the social worker was going to be. And just so happened that she came walking down the sidewalk and saw Sydney, and they were able to walk into the school together. They were still running on a block schedule, and um, I think the first day, first day or two of school, they were not running on a block schedule, and those were the only two days Sydney went to class her sophomore year. Okay. What happened? She did not have a true case manager. She had a sub of a sub mm. case manager. And so she didn't feel like she had a person. The social worker was super overwhelmed and was not able to meet her every morning. And the block schedule is kind of tricky for a person that has super high anxiety because you're kind of stuck in a classroom for an extra long time. Mm-hmm. She couldn't handle it. 
she would go to the classroom door and could not get herself to cross the threshold to go into the classroom. And then it became this thing that she just couldn't go to class. So I, during this time, I'm constantly emailing the school. I'm trying to find out answers. I'm trying to find out what we can do to help. Like what's the, what's the secondary solution? And everybody is so shorthanded and everybody's just trying to get through the day. And, um, I guess for a week or so, I didn't realize that Sydney was not going to actual class. If she wasn't going to class, where was she? She was in the library. And did anyone know that she was in the library? So she had checked in with the social worker, and they had said that she could go to the library. But you didn't know this? I didn't know this. This was not part of the 504 or the IEP? No. So when I found out that she was not in any sort of classroom, I emailed and I asked for her to be able to go and stay in the resource room. And they unfortunately told me that that was not an option. Because no reason given? Because they don't do that. Okay. Um, I didn't know what to do at that point. Um, so I called for a meeting and, um, I said they need, there needs to be an alternative space. And they're like, there is. Yeah. We've got that figured out. She can go and check in with the counselor. She, these are the people that she can go and check in with. She can go and check in with the social worker. She can go and check in with the counselor and she can go and check in with the resource room. Okay. So the next day at school, I tell her, you know, I'm relaying this to Sydney that this is what you're supposed to do. And she's like, okay. And um, she goes to the resource classroom. There was nobody in there, so she did not want to stay in there. So she goes down to the counseling office, and she asked to make an appointment, or she asked to see the counselor, and she was told that she needed to make an appointment. This is after you've been told that that is one of the three options for her is to check in with the counselor. And the social worker was working with another student. She had nobody. She went to the bathroom. She called me crying and begging me to go home. I called the school, and I couldn't get a hold of anybody. I kept getting everybody's voicemails. I was, like, frantically sending emails, like, trying to just get a hold of somebody to have them call me. Um, And I couldn't get anything to happen, and I couldn't leave her in the bathroom. So I went and picked her up. And... Um, I don't even remember how far we were into school at that point, but I said, you know, these are the accommodations 
that I need to have met. We need to, she needs to have a person meet her. We need to be meeting at a different door. And they did agree to that, that they would have somebody meet her and we could go to an alternative door where there was not as much um, commotion or congestion. And um, that helped her get into the building and we were working baby steps trying to get into the classroom. Until one day we get to the school and she could not get out of the car. And the social worker came out to the car. And that day we talked her into going into the school. And it just kept getting worse. So each day, I'd have to, we couldn't get out of the car, and the social worker would have to come. And then it became the assistant principal would have to come sometimes because the social worker would not be available. And um, it was around homecoming time because I told Sydney, hey, if you, if you can get out of the car, you know, you can she had had plans to go to homecoming with friends and um I said you can you can go to homecoming but I need you to get out of the car I need you to get out of the car and um she could not get out of the car and nobody could meet us so right before I started to pull away she said, no, mom, mom, I'll, I'll get out of the car. I'll get out of the car. So I stopped the car. She opens the door. She can't get out of the car. So we close the door, and I head, start heading home. And on the way home, she grabbed the steering wheel. And I don't, I don't know what the objective was other than just trying to grab some sort of control. Right, I think that her world was spinning completely out of control. And um, we did make it home. And I got out of the car. I went into the house. And she would not get out of the car. She sat out there for probably 15, 20 minutes. And she finally came into the house. And we've always had this ongoing rule that if you don't go to school, you don't get your phone. You don't get, you know, you can have your computer only if we're sitting there while you're doing homework. Um, but there's no phones, no TV. And that's always been the rule. So I asked her for her phone. And she would not give it to me. And... She started threatening to hurt herself. And I could see she was not, I mean, she was just in such a dark place. It was hard to even see Sydney anymore. And she ran for the knife drawer. And I blocked her. I put myself between her and the knife drawer and I grabbed my phone and I called 911. And 
the police showed up to our house. And at that point, things had calmed down considerably. I think like a little bit of fear of seeing the police at our house was brought into her. And I immediately asked them where the ambulance was. And they didn't really respond to that. They were asking me um, if they could come in the house. And I was like, yeah, you can come in the house. I, I need help. You know, I, I need, like, she's having a mental health crisis. I need help. And they, there was still no ambulance. And then they're asking to separate us. And my mom was there at the house. So she stayed with Sydney, and I went into a separate room. And they immediately wanted to know what the story was. And I'm like, the story is my daughter has super high anxiety. I need help. That is why I called 911. And they started asking me all these questions about the day's events, like what was the lead up to this and all of this. And I said that she was going towards the knife drawer and I got in her way and she shoved me. And they're like, she shoved you? And I was like, yeah. She's going for the knife drawer. And the next thing I know, they're saying that they're pressing charges of assault against Sydney. And she was 16, 17 at that time? She was six, 16. She was actually 15. 15. Right before her 16th birthday. Was there a mental health co-responder with the police when they came? No. Okay. And I did not know to ask for one. Sure. I know now. Yeah. Me too. But I didn't know that until not too long ago. They wanted to press charges of assault against your 15-year-old daughter. Yes. Could you stop that from happening? I tried. I said, I'm not pressing charges. This is not, I need help. They're like, yeah, we're going to um, help you get on, on, you know, online, on the phone with Johnson County Mental Health. And um, we're going to request that she be evaluated. Um, but, you know, these, these charges are going to be brought. Did they take her away then? They did not. They said that they, as long as we went to Johnson County Mental Health that day, they would leave her there with me. And then they asked me if I felt safe enough to drive her or if they felt if I felt that she needed to be escorted there. And I said, no, she does not need to be escorted. I will get her there. She was so scared. I was scared. My mom was scared. 
I felt like I had made the biggest mistake in trying to get her help. I don't know the actual numbers, but I do know that a significant number of 911 calls are mental health related. I can't even imagine how that must have felt when you were calling and asking for help mm-hmm. and your daughter basically got, got arrested. Mm-hmm. So we went to Johnson County Mental Health, and I do feel like that was the only silver lining that came out of this is that we kind of got booted to the front of the line. Like, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, because... <laughs> Whatever police ordered, right? Yes. <laughs> when the police called the, <laughs> the mental health <laughs> place for you, mm-hmm. you get brought to the front of the line. Yeah. Um, we were seen within 10 minutes of being there, and they immediately evaluated Sydney and said that they were so sorry that the police did not handle the situation better. And... Um, she got up, she got set up through them with a, what they call a case manager. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was, that was kind of a blessing in disguise. Why is that? Um, they kind of, they work with the patient out in the community, meaning that she would come to our house and really work with Sydney on coping skills in our house. Um, they would sometimes meet at Starbucks and work on coping skills there. So that was really like hands-on for Sydney, and um, and we were lucky that we got the personalities went well together. You already had a therapist and a psychiatrist. So did that change your therapist and psychiatrist or just added that case manager piece to the puzzle? It added that case manager to the puzzle. And I'm guessing if Sydney hadn't already had the therapist and the physician, then they probably would have worked with you guys to get her established with someone at Johnson County Mental Health. Yes. Okay. So prior to this major event happening in our lives, I had already been trying to find some sort of um, more intensive therapy for Sydney. And um, again, the wait lists were incredibly long. So I was able to kind of get booted to the front of the line with that too. And she was able to do an an outpatient um, therapy that was five weeks long. Okay. An intensive outpatient program? Yep. And um, it was three hours a day, four days a week for five weeks. And how did that go? Um, 
it was really good. I don't want to say it was life changing. I don't want to, you know, like say it was life changing, but it was really, really good. I think that finally, for the first time in her life, she was able to see that there really there was other people that were struggling. They might their struggles might not be exactly like hers, but she really got to know these kids that were in her group and um and she got to know that they were good kids too, you know, like in um they also had it was mandatory for parents to go on Wednesday nights. And um it was probably the best thing for my husband and I to be a part of that and really see and hear what anxiety really looks like and um, or what anxiety is. And the first time, the first day we were there, um, my husband could not go with me, so I went with Sydney. And um, if there's one thing we could definitely say about Sydney is that she's consistent. So we pull up in front of the, <laughs> the intensive outpatient therapy, and she could not get out of the car. And I did not know what to do. And I was like, you know what? I am going to go in. I'm going to go in. It's okay. If you stay in the car, that's okay. I'm going to go in. And I went in there, and I did not know what I was going to say or what I was going to do, but I was going to beg somebody for help. And the director met me at the door, and he's like, hi, you know, who are you? And I told him, and I was like, my daughter's in the car, and she cannot get out. And he goes, can I talk to her? Would that be okay? And I said, yeah, that, that's okay. He grabbed this little box. It almost looked like a pencil box. And he went out to the car and knocked on the window. And I think like it kind of startled Sydney a little bit. But she opened the door. And he introduced himself, and he's like, Sydney, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to hold this box in your hands. And she's like, okay. And he goes, I want you to open it up. And there is a, like a peppermint candy in there, and I want you to put it in your mouth. And she put it in her mouth, and he goes, can you tell me what you taste? And she's like, it's peppery. It's kind of hot. And he's like, okay, what do you smell? Well, it's kind of peppermint smell, and he's like, okay, can you tell me something that you can see right now? She's like, oh, I, I see grass. I see a parking lot. He's like, okay. He's like, I want to make an agreement with you. If you can get out of the car and come in for 10 minutes, that's all I'm going to ask you to do. If you don't want to stay after 10 minutes, I'll nod at you when 10 minutes is over and you can by all means leave. That's okay. But I'm going to ask you to do this for yourself. Just get out of the car and go in for for 10 minutes. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll try for 10 minutes. (laughs) And she wanted to stay. 
So I learned that that was a grounding technique. I had not learned that what he was doing was a grounding technique. What is a grounding technique for those of us who don't know what that means? So somebody that is on a verge of a panic attack or is experiencing a panic attack or is feeling a lot of stress or anxiety about something, they can be spinning and they can't seem to get their thoughts together. They can't figure out what's the next thing they need to do. And a grounding technique brings them back to the here and now. So a lot of times it's dealt with something that you can smell or hear or see. Some grounding techniques have to do with breathing. Um, Some of them have to do with holding ice cubes, which we found was very helpful for Sydney. So it helps bring you back to the present. And if you can be in the present, you can start to then take that first step forward. She stayed in the intensive outpatient program. She did. For the five weeks. And you guys attended once a week. Mm -hmm. I think I know which program you're talking about. Is it the Anxiety Center at Renew? Mm -hmm. Jason? Yeah. Yeah. So they're doing a great job there. They really are. Mm -hmm. The analogies that they use are very, very good. Sydney learned that she has um, a really difficult time, um, like, envisioning, like, envisioning things. Like when you say to close your eyes and envision yourself at the beach or something, she can't do that. That's not a good grounding technique for her because she doesn't see the beach. Mm. Um, so she learned that about herself, which I think for me was very helpful because I would say to her, close your eyes. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, we do what we know. Yeah. And we're not professionals. Yeah. We're just moms. We are. We're just moms trying to make it day to day. Yeah. Once she finished the IOP, what happened after that? Um, During the IOP, her hours at school were cut um, because of the timing of when it's offered. Um, It cut into the school day. Um, And I feel like the school kind of thought that that was going to be like the fix-all and um, that she was going to... She was still attending school when she was doing the IOP, but um, I think that they just felt like once she was finished with it, there was going to be no more anxiety. She could come in. She could walk into the classroom. You're good. You're good to go. Go do your thing. And that wasn't the case. Um, I just have to feel that it was the perfect storm, and they still did not have a true case manager for her at the school. Yeah. And uh, she just felt so she felt this betrayal. And I know that there was probably some conversations that happened with the social worker in Sydney that 
unfortunately, were not helpful in helping Sydney get back on that right path. So <clears throat> she had been talking for a long time about doing an online school. And I couldn't see that that was going to be a good thing. And I also felt <clears throat> that if we did that, there was a couple things. We were letting the anxiety win. And I also felt that high school was this gateway to adulthood. And if you can't do school, how are you going to do life? Um, February of last year, I finally caved. Um, I, I, like, I, I truly can't do this anymore. I can't. I was physically not even able to wake up in the morning because I knew the mornings were going to be so terrible. Um, I really didn't like the person I, who I was becoming as a parent, as a human being. I, I felt myself going down into a hole, not knowing what to do anymore. And I finally just said, let's investigate this. Let's figure this out. And we did a lot of digging and researching, and we found an online school. And like the next week, she started. And it has been life-changing for us. In what ways? She doesn't have to go to a brick-and-mortar school to get an education. And because that has been taken off the table, it has opened her mind up to being able to do so many more things. Um, she couldn't get a job before because she couldn't go into an interview. And um, she now has a couple different jobs and she's gone for interviews. Um, the summer before her sophomore year, she was signed up to do lifeguard training and we pulled up to the lifeguard training and she couldn't get out of the car. She went and got her lifeguard license and is now a lifeguard. Um, she also couldn't get her driver's license. That was one of the things that she worked with with the um, case manager through Johnson County Mental Health. Um, that was one of their goals was for her to get her driver's license. And she did that. And she's an amazing driver, so much so that today she drove back to our hometown by herself. Oh, wow. That's a big step for many reasons. For many reasons. Wow. And I just, you know, it's it's hard as a parent to see your child not get the the full experience of what I think high school should be. 
but that's from that's my perspective. And it's also society telling us that this is what high school is and this is what high school should be about. That's just not high high school for Sydney. Right. And that's okay. It is okay. I've heard you most of the time we've been discussing your story say I a lot. And you did refer to your husband um, and said that you guys didn't always see things the same way or you weren't always on the same page and that you've had some marital difficulties. Do you want to talk about that anymore or? Yeah. um, With my husband's job, um, the morning routine was never really um, part of his morning routine because he would get up and leave the house way before um, we were ever even awake. So he's always tried to help as much as he can. And try to understand as much as he can. But a lot of this stuff, he he didn't see a lot of it. And he would see some of it at night. Um, but most of the stuff was happening in the morning. And um, that's hard. Um, he always had, or has, he always has, a different perspective you know, we're two different people. And um, also with early on in the counseling, um, his schedule didn't allow him to take Sydney. And so I would end up going and um, I would hear the feedback and those types of things. So then it was me relaying it back to him. And I really feel like when we were like kind of forced <laughs> to be a part of the parent night of the IOP, it really brought us to the same page. He understood, I understood, and it was that was very helpful for us. Was there some healing that happened even with the two of you or between him and Sydney? I definitely, yeah, both. I definitely feel like there was, um, I feel like before we weren't, like able to communicate because we felt like we were speaking different languages mm-hmm. and then we're like him and I were finally able to speak the same language and um and I think a lot of times I knew not to take things personally and and sometimes you still do sure it's hard not to <laughs> but you try really hard not to um, and before the IOP, he took everything personally. If anything happened, he, he internalized that. And to the point where he would always say, like, she's pulling one over on us. She's pulling one over on us. And I'm like, she's not pulling one over on us. She can't get out of bed. I don't think she really wants to be like this. I think this is the visible, what we can visibly see of how bad she's feeling inside. Mm -hmm. 
And I think now he finally understands that. How's your younger daughter doing? She's in counseling. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. So are we. (laughs) No, I truly, I truly believe that everybody needs the counselor. Agreed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, she, um, you know, she's been through a lot. She's seen a lot. And um, I feel like it's been very important for her to have her person that she goes to and that she is able to talk to. Um, this year in particular has been more difficult for her. Um, we lost my dad last February. She lost her grandmother on her dad's side in the fall. Hmm. And it was pretty sudden. That's a lot of loss for anyone, Mm -hmm. much less a young person. And, you know, she's lived in a household with an older sister that has struggled her whole life. So um, this particular year has been more difficult for her. And I have seen more anxiety building in her. And I have just tried to make sure that I have an open door communication with the school and her counselor, and I, um, I've done a lot more like research and reading on um, meditation, and um, I've started to make that part of our daily routine. I was going to ask you what kind of coping mechanisms you have had over the years to take care of yourself through all of these really, really challenging times as a mom. I really like to work out and um, and whatever, whatever way that looks like, whether that's going to the gym or whether that's walking outside. Um, I really have to take that time for me. Me too. <laughs> I also found during my little stint of thyroid cancer, um, I kind of found like the true healing process of yoga. And I do that a lot too. We didn't really press into your thyroid cancer because we were talking about Sydney's response to it. Mm -hmm. You had surgery, you Mm -hmm. had your thyroid removed. Did you have to do any other treatment after that? I did not. I was extremely lucky. Um, I it was stage one, and um, the first doctor that I went to wanted to take half the thyroid out, and something kept telling me that that was not okay. I sought out a different surgeon, and um, they said that they fully believed that the whole thyroid needed to come out because it wasn't functioning anyway. So... Um, they did, and um, when they were biopsying, biopsying the thyroid, there was another spot of cancer on the other side that would not have come out wow. if, if I wouldn't have had the whole thing removed. Definitely the right thing to do then. 
And that's great news, and I'm really glad that it was a surgery and then you didn't have to go through Mm -hmm. any other treatments. Yes. I was... I was very lucky. I um, I don't know if it's – I've always tried to really pay attention to my body, like, as far as, like, listening to it. And um, I was going through some things that had just, like, changed pretty dramatically. And when I was going to the doctor, they kept kind of brushing me off. And I finally went to a different doctor and asked for a full thyroid panel prior to going and seeing, like having my physical done and the numbers were off. And then when they actually checked the thyroid, it was enlarged and they did an ultrasound and they saw the nodule and then they did the biopsy and, and it was cancer and it all happened like within like a six week time frame. Stress on top of stress that you were dealing with at that time. Yeah. Mm, It's a lot for anybody. How do you feel your situation is presently? Just you with your own mental health journey and emotions around how parenting a child with pretty severe anxiety has been. I kind of think that I'm on a roller coaster that <laughs> um, you don't have the ability to physically get off the roller coaster, but you have the ability to help slow it down sometimes. Mm. And then sometimes you're back going crazy again. And um, for me, I have to really try and find the good in things and um, and the happy moments and just really try and embrace those. Um, she is still a kid. Yes. And it's like when you're dealing with a meltdown and your child is – screaming at you that they hate you and that they know that you wish that they were never born. It's hard to let that go and then turn around and they're being silly about something and laugh about it. And it took me a long time to be able to change gears and to know this is her. It's actually not even her. It's like that advisor voice telling that's finally coming to the surface. This is what she's hearing all the time, that she's not worthy and that she's not good enough. And I'm just seeing a glimpse of it. It's nothing personal to me. And in two hours, when all this is all said and done, and she comes and she shows me a silly dog video or something like that, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to enjoy that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's hard as an adult. Really hard. 
to switch, switch gears. What would you tell parents of young children, toddlers, preschoolers, any tips you would give them? I would first say, always follow your gut and just keep asking for help. Um, If we could have gotten the right kind of help early on, um, it would have been a little bit easier to manage. It wouldn't have fixed it. Sure. Uh, and I think like that has been my journey of this is learning that my job is not to fix, it's to support. And that's really hard. I've struggled with that <laughs> myself. Yes, that is a challenge. What do you see for Sydney in the future? I think whatever she decides to do as a career, I mean, she'll be full steam ahead. I think she'll always have to have people around her that support her and understand. Well, at least I hope that for her, right? Like, um, she's had a few relationships, um, a couple boyfriends, and uh, it's hard to be open about, you know, such a, serious thing early on but it is a part of her and we have said to her whoever you end up with has to understand and support you in a in your mental health journey is there anything that you want to say or talk about that I have not asked you I think like uh One of the big things that I learned in the IOP was about that advisor voice that they, that's constantly kind of like this running um, record in their mind. Um, And as a parent, I never could understand, even at such a young age, why if I was going to tell Sydney, or if her dad was going to tell her it's going to be okay, why that was not ever good enough. And it's because there's this voice telling her it's not, and that overpowers anything else that anybody else says. And so understanding that... I have really tried to stop saying it's going to be okay. And I try to say, how can I help? Mm. 
That's really, really good because it's hard. We don't know that it's going to be okay. Yeah, we really don't. No. Trisha, I really, really appreciate your honesty, your vulnerability, being willing to just share some really personal, deep things with the Just a Mom listeners. And I have no doubt that there will be people who benefit from listening to what you had to say and sharing your story and how you parented your daughter, who's had, again, some really debilitating anxiety. So thank you so much for being with me on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.